systems initiated. You're listening to the Empire Podcast Network. Hey everyone, it's Jacob Young. My guest this week has worked with some of the biggest stars in Hollywood and in history. He made his Broadway debut at the age of 10, opposite Academy Award winner Anne Bancroft. He followed that by performing Shakespeare on Broadway with Al Pacino. And on the big screen in Peter Bogdanovich's film, they all laughed. His mother was the iconic Audrey Hepburn. TV fans around the country grew up with him as the precarious teen Alex in the classic TV series, One Day at a Time. He's even been a comic book. My guest this week is my friend, Glenn Scarpelli. You know what time it is. It's time to keep it real with Real Conversations with Jacob Young, sponsored by Boys Town. Glenn, how are you? Jacob, oh my gosh, dude. First of all, I just love seeing your face right now here and just listening to your voice. It's been a long time since we've been in the same room together, brother, but thank you so much for inviting me on the podcast. Oh, really? it, it, no, I'm, I'm honored. It's, it's, it's so great to see you too. And it has been a hot second and I'm, but I'm glad, I'm glad we can see each other this way too. So that's, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Now, Glenn, you made your Broadway debut at such a young age, working with the legendary Anne Bancroft uh, in, in a play with uh, about Golda Meyer. Um, yes. What lessons did you, at 10 years old, learn about Anne and Golda? Wow, that is such a good question because, you know, if I look back now on my childhood and maybe at the time I didn't have the appreciation for what was really surrounding me. I mean, I knew they were famous and so on and so forth, but I look at the market made on me as a man, like the, the person I am today was molded by some of these incredible experiences. And, you know, Anne Bancroft was just incredible. She was, of course, married to Mel Brooks and he was around a lot. So just being around that kind of incredible, funny energy. And in a lot of ways, I got to share with you, Jacob, that Annie was even funnier than Mel. Really? Like she was freaking <laughs> hilarious. And even though it was a very serious play, the life story of Golda Meir, you know, it was fun and jolly and jovial on the set on, on, on in rehearsals and on the stage because Anne made it that way. She set a tone and, and Golda herself was very much a part of the development of this play. So I did get to meet the prime minister of oh. Israel at a very, very young age. And she would like take us out to lunch. She loved the kids. I played her son in it, Menachem. And she would tell me stories about the real Menachem, who of course at that point was an adult. He died only, I don't know, like six years ago in, in his nineties. Um, but I was a real person. So it was wonderful to hear her stories, but I will share with you one major line that she gave me that I carried my entire life. Yeah. Tell us. She said to me, and I was, you know, 10 years old. She said to me, be the person you want to spend the rest of your life with. Oh, that is. That is heavy. I mean, that's, that's good. That's deep. great food for thought. And, and it's that, great food for thought. And how have you incorporated that into your life today or throughout your life? Well, you know, when I heard that, I heard that through a 10 year old filter. And then I carried that statement with me because it really made a mark. And I'm not the only person she's ever said it to. If you Google this, she has said this to a lot of people. This was a, a, a big piece of advice she would carry throughout her life. Um, but then I would think about it when I was 20 and I heard it through a 20 year old filter and then 30 at a 30 year old filter. And now here I am at, a, at 55 through a 55 year old filter. 
And it's quite profound because, you know, true happiness comes from within. And really the partner we have in life is that relationship with ourselves. And no matter who else is in our lives, our spouses, our children, our family, that's all beautiful. And that takes a, a huge place, but it starts with ourselves. Right. And I think that's really what she was trying to say. No one else can make you happy. You can't find happiness in someone else. You can have happiness with someone else, but not in someone else. You are the one that carries that. Be the person you want to spend the rest of your life with. Be the person that makes you happy. So, you know, I, I look at my life, dude, and you know, I, I live, I'm talking to you right now from Sedona, Arizona. I've made some serious changes in my life, um, some spiritual choices, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of prioritizing my life in a new way, in a different way than most. And, um, and, and that is kind of was the beginning of that kind of consciousness for me is when Golda said that to me at, at the age of 10. So it was quite, quite wow. profound, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. Such great advice. I, I'm still trying to find that person. Right. <laughs> Why are we all? <laughs> Dude, I don't think there's a I don't think there's a destination. I don't think we actually find that I think it's the journey to always find another layer. You know, like I've done a lot of work on myself and it's like, I call it the onion peel, you know, like just when I think I got it, there's something else to discover, or there's another shadow side of myself that I really need to come to grips with and just say, okay, you know, that there's a, there's a darkness that I need to shed some light. And a lot of times in my life, Jacob, I've cracked, you know, and during these cracks is when they say when you crack is when the light is let in. Right. So, you know, I I think that that's part of it. I don't think we ever arrive is my point. I think we're always more to discover. That's amazing that you, you have a hold of that. That's I, when I talked to a lot of people on this show and, you know, some people are very open and, and have found that, that they've realized that in their lives. And then some people still are a little bit closed off. I, myself, know that I'm a work in progress and, and it's so refreshing to hear you say that. Yeah. Being a fellow Italian, what was it like for you to work with Al Pacino? Had to oh ask that. my God. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the Godfather was our Bible growing up in Staten Island, New York, where I grew up. And, um, you know, I always idolized Pacino, De Niro. They were the guys that really were a huge influence of me wanting to be an actor. I, 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 I begged my parents from the age of five to be in show business. They never pushed me. I had this innate, like just, you know, calling, if you will, as you know, cause I know you have, you have the same calling and, and it's when you know something, but I just happened to know very young that that's what I loved. So Pacino was such a huge part of who, what that was for me, what stardom, what, what a movie star looked like. So when I heard I was going to audition for Pacino, I got really nervous. I wasn't even <laughs> didn't even that part yet. And I, I, I auditioned and, you know, this was probably my fourth callback by the time I actually got to meet the man. And they narrowed it down to just a few, a handful of, of kids. I played the Duke of York in Richard III, which was his nephew who he kills to become king. Right. So, you know, I'm 12 years old, I'm reading Shakespeare. I don't know what the heck this play is about. Honestly, (laughs) I'm like going, what now? I don't know. So I show up for the audition. I remember it was in Tribeca in this little rehearsal hall. 
It was snowing, a blizzard. We got to the audition from Staten Island. It was a blizzard. He was sitting there with this with this cap on, this like winter cap in this big jacket. Told, he is not movie star. Like he doesn't give a shit about movie star. Yeah. You know, he is humble. He is down to earth. He's all about the work. I mean, he really is truly an artist, you know, so he didn't look like a movie star. Let's just put it that way. And so I read the scene with him and he says, um, I'm going to walk you outside. I said, OK, he walks me outside and in the waiting room were the other kids and my mom. And he said, who, who, who who's this one belong to? He's pointing to me. Mm-hmm. My mom says me. He goes, I want to take him downstairs for a Coke. There's a little coffee shop on the corner. May I do that? May I take him downstairs? And she's like, uh, like, you know, Al Pacino's asking to take my kid, of course, <laughs> you know, you can take him to Disneyland if you want. I don't care. So we went downstairs and he bought me a Coke. He had a cup of coffee and he said, so do you know what this is about? You know what this play is about? And I said, I haven't, I haven't the fondest clue. I have no clue what this play is about. He goes, I thought so. But why would you, why would you, how old are you? I said, 12. He said, why would you? He goes, well, let me explain. So he like very in layman terms, explained who he was, how the hierarchy worked, royalty worked in those days, the kind of kid that I was, but all in layman's terms. We went upstairs. We read the scene again. By the time I got home, there were no cell phones back then. I'm old. This was a long time ago. 1979. We were on Broadway and um, we, we walked into the house. The phone was ringing. I got the part. Ah. So. You know, it was really an amazing, it was just so amazing that he took the time to say, let me, I see something in this. It's not the reading I'm looking for, but I see something and I'm going to give this kid another chance. So I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Wow. But that's really like what a true artist would do. If, if you see something, maybe the read wasn't right. And he took that right. time to, to talk to you and kind of get in. I mean, I, I had a situation like that where I read with Sylvester Stallone and <sighs> I was like, oh, my su- gosh, dude, that's crazy. super nervous, of course. Right. And I do the first read. The director's there, Rennie Harlan. And, uh, you know, Sly goes, well, you know, I'm going to do like this. Try like like a little bit. Gave me some notes. And um, and then, you know, because he took the time to do that, I was able to relax a little bit and really deliver that performance. So that must've been really special with Al Pacino. I'm sure your parents were beside themselves. I mean, you must've had a big Italian dinner right after that. I would imagine celebrating. (laughs) There was a lot to celebrate. There was a lot to celebrate for sure. But I think what's cool about that and with your story too, that, that just kind of brings up some memories in, in my head about that experience was when you talk acting with someone like that, they become, um, a, a collaborator. You know, like maybe I had him on a pedestal before I met him. And then we became, you know, um, we became compadres. You know, you could talk acting, you talk scene, you talk motivation, you talk arc. And then it's such an, it's a whole different kind of relationship that you create. And it's something very special. And maybe only actors understand this, that you do have this sort of connection that's hard to put into words, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I ran into Al Pacino. I mean, literally ran into Al Pacino. It was the closest I ever got to him. It was on the Upper West Side. I was heading to my apartment. It was a blizzard. It was snowing. And again, he was in a stocking cap and a big coat. And he was carrying, I didn't know it was him. He was, his daughter was on his shoulders. And next thing you know, like, 
I look up because the snow's blasting in my face, and I run into this guy on the corner. And he's like, oh. <laughs> and I look up, and I my, my mouth dropped to the floor. You know, I literally bumped into Al Pacino. I was like, Mr. Pacino. And he's like, hey, how you doing? And he, like, starts walking across a horrible Al Pacino impersonation. But he, he turns back around, and he looks at me, and, and uh, he said something. I couldn't barely hear him, but he, he pointed at me, and it, was, it wasn't mean. It was like, he said, I don't know. I don't know what it was. It was, it was sweet. But he went across the street to the pizza place that I had been avoiding because everything was raised pizza, right? Everything in New York City right, was raised right. pizza. So this little place across the street, I was like, well, Al Pacino eats at that pizzeria. I got to go to that pizzeria. So... <laughs> So I go there and sure enough, like not the same day, but sure enough, uh, all in the wall was pictures of Al Pacino with the owners, Kevin Bacon, Matt Dillon. And so that became my new favorite hang because I said, well, you know, these guys go there. So I'm going there. Oh, my God. And we both met Al Pacino in the middle of a a blizzard. Yeah. What's the the irony in that? We have so much in common. We've known this all along. (laughs) But now there's even this we have to we have to uh, put on our list. So you got to act with so many iconic movie stars at such a young age. Any funny stories about working with Audrey Hepburn or Peter Bogdanovich or something that was incredible about that time? You know, that film was such a wonderful experience. It was called They All Laughed. It also starred um, John Ritter and Ben Gazzara. Wow. And so I had a sense of who these people were, especially Audrey, because I grew up watching old films. Classic films was my thing from when I was really young. Like, I just loved it. And I still watch classic films all the time. So I was very, very aware of Audrey and the star that she was. And there was this, I'll tell you a story. There was this one sequence in the film that um, her character comes to pick me up at uh, Rockefeller Center. And we walk all the way to the Plaza Hotel. And Bogdanovich did not want to, like, close streets and hire extras and and have anything that wasn't organic. So he shot this entire sequence, five days it took to shoot the sequence. And he shot it all with hidden cameras in Manhattan. And I was walking arm in arm, hand in hand with Audrey Hepburn. And there would be some people that would recognize her, you know, certainly like, I mean, it's that Audrey Hepburn. But then there were a lot of New Yorkers that just don't give a shit. So (laughs) he knew that that was what he was gonna get, was gonna get a real sense of just New York. He really wanted to capture New York in the film. So often when they would cut, they would whisk Audrey and I into these stores along Fifth Avenue to hide us until they reset the cameras and we were ready for the next leg of the sequence. So one time they brought us into a music store and it was all kinds of wonderful vinyls in those days and cassette tapes. And she sat with me. Remember, at this point, because it was all hidden cameras, we didn't have we didn't have our trailers. She didn't have her makeup people. It was just her and I. And she basically watched me like a mom would a child for that whole entire week. For sure, it was just her and I. So we had a long, a lot of time to really get to know each other. So we walk into this one store and she's walking around. She goes, you know what my favorite music is? I said, what? She said, it's classical music. I said, really? She goes, do you know a lot about classical music? I said, honestly, Audrey, I don't. She goes, let me teach you some things. And she talked about Brahms and Bach and history and why she loved it and why she has such a passion for it and so on and so forth. And I just felt, I just felt so blessed to have these moments with Audrey's wisdom. Now we cut to the rap night and we're at the rap party and she says, come over here. And she brought me into the corner privately and she handed me this bag that was a gift with a beautiful note. 
And it said to my only movie son, because she never played a mom ah. in a film before. So I was the only one to ever play her son in a, in a feature film. <clears throat> and I opened the bag and she had bought me all the cassettes that she walked me through that day. Mm-hmm. And I, she did that as a, as a surprise, as a secret behind my back and gave me all those all, all those cassettes and all that beautiful music. So for years and years, I'd listened to that music. And still, when I hear some of those passages, I just can't think of anyone but Audrey. Yeah. Well, you so, obviously made an impression on her. That says a lot about you. No, nah, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Well, she was, she was really down to earth. Let me tell you, like I've worked with people who are famous and some of them, no names mentioned are some divas. She was the opposite of diva. Like this woman knew everybody's name on the set. She didn't care what you did, whether you went and got the coffee, she would welcome them, say by name, say good morning. She was such a teacher in how to be, um, how to be elegant and famous and kind all at the same time. Truly. Yeah. She was that person for me. I was like, if I'm going to be, ever want to be like anyone, I want to be like Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't realize that because they're on the outside, but being, in TV and film, it's important to get to know your crew. Talk to the people that are doing all the jobs. Treat everybody the same. I can't tell you how many times one of the crew members would come up to me and be like, Jacob, you know, you're one of the, the good ones because you say hello and ask us what's going on with our lives or how you've been. Or you remember a story we told you and you ask us about that story. And I said, well, it's just that's just who I am. It's not because I'm you know trying to be something I'm not, but they told me so many actors walk right by and never give them a time of day, which I'm like, these are the people that are supporting you in the project, you know, whether it's lighting or props, you know, properties. So it's, uh, it's, I think it's great. And what a great example she set for you. Yeah. And I got to say, dude, that I know this about you. And I also know that your reputation precedes you because I've heard this from so many people that have worked with you. And your heart is so big, Jacob, oh. really. I, I, I felt that from the moment we met, we, of course, our, our common denominator is our brother, Mark Rosano, um, who, who introduced us. And um, from the moment I met you, dude, I just felt this great like warmth and connection that really had nothing to do with show business because I just felt like, like there was a real you know family bond. Um, but I've heard that about everyone that works with you, how down to earth, and how real and that you recognize the team sport that we're all in called show business. It's a team sport. You know, it's not, it's not, uh, uh, you know, there's no I in team. So uh, I do know that about you and um, I applaud that too, brother. Well, we're two peas in a pod, I guess. <laughs> ah, there you go, dude. Totally. Can't wait for you to come to Sedona and party with me. Oh, man. I, I, tell me. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to I doing know, a little more too. traveling and stuff that's not necessarily work-related. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll have some fun. Bring the fam. Yeah. We'll have a great time. You know, I've been teaching students for a while now. What advice would you give kids who want to be in show business? I get this question a lot because I was a child actor and I get it normally from parents who's either interested in getting their kids in show business or not only interested in, but maybe when the kid is interested in getting in show business. And my first thing is always, they have to love it. Like they have to just adore it. 
because it's a hard business. You know, it's not an easy business and you have to have a very tough skin and you have to still be able to believe in yourself when you don't think the people around you believe in you any longer. And that's hard to wrap your head around as a kid. I learned that very early on, but you see, when you love something, you can't see yourself doing anything else. So it becomes who you are. You know, it becomes not just what you do. And that's my advice. First and foremost, to anyone that's looking to get into the business, how much do you love it? Do you really love it? Cause you have to really love it or else it will destroy you. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Great advice. The original one day at a time still airs every single day on TV after all of these years. How did you land that role of Alex? Okay. Well, I was doing Richard the third. It actually comes back to Richard the third. I had met Valerie Bertinelli doing a pilot. She was dating this guy that played my brother and I was doing Richard the third shortly after the pilot and they were coming to New York to do because Val, Val was booked on, um, I think it was the $20,000 pyramid in those days. Maybe it was 25,000. I can't remember, mm -hmm. but it was the show with Dick Clark and they came to New York and they said, Hey, we want to come see the show. So they came to see Richard the third. And I never asked Pacino to really meet a lot of people. Cause it wasn't his mojo. Like it wasn't his jam, you know, like mm -hmm. he's shy and he was understated and he wasn't always about like the big long line at the dressing room and he has to meet everybody. So I really handpicked who I could really ask him. And, um, Valerie really wanted to ask him and I was, you know, 12 years old. I thought it was hot shit going, I want to <laughs> introduce Valerie Bertinelli to Al Pacino. Like how freaking cool is that? So right? cool. It's very cool. So I was like, okay, I'm going to ask him. And so I asked him and I said, she's on a TV show called one day at a time. He goes, I don't even know on a TV. So like, he's like, I don't know her, but any friend of yours is a friend of mine. Uh, I was like, okay. So she came backstage and she was, her leg was shaking. Like she was really nervous. <laughs> and here I was all hot shit going, Al, Val, Val, Al, you know, and they had a, a lovely conversation and it, he was so kind and warm and wonderful. And we're walking out the court theater, the stage door at the court theater on 48th street in New York. And she says to me, Glenn, if there's anything I could ever do for you, all you have to do is ask. And I was like, Oh my gosh. So mental note, 12 years old, Valerie Bertinelli owes me one. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to stash that in the old. Yeah. Uh, yeah Cause that's not a bad thing. That's a, that, yeah. Not a, not bad at all. Not bad at all. So cut to two years later, Mackenzie, who is also like a sister to me, um, is fired from the show due to a very public drug habit. Yeah. And um, they're looking, I read in TV, my mother read in TV guide that they're looking for a 14 year old boy now to add to the show. And I was 14 and I was like, Oh my gosh, I think I'm going to call Val. So myself with the help of my agent in LA, um, tracked her down on the set of a TV movie that she was doing in shooting in San Francisco. And I reached her and I said, Val, I heard that they're adding a 14 year old boy. She went, Oh my gosh, Glenn. Of course. She said, because I just spoke to Bonnie today. Bonnie had casting approval, Bonnie Franklin. And she said, I was just talking to Bonnie today and she's looking for a boy with theater credits. She goes, we have to find somebody with theater credits. And I saw you on Broadway with Al Pacino. She goes, I'm making a phone call right now for you on your behalf. So she got me an audition. Um, the vice president of the company and the casting director flew to New York at that point, um, of which they went back. And then I got a screen test to go out and 
read with Valerie and Bonnie and of course get Norman Lear's approval. Yeah. And, um, and I got the part. I always thank her for that. She always says, honey, you were the one that got the part. I just got you an audition and auditions are a dime a dozen. So I'm like, yeah, but you got me an audition. And then I got the, the approval of Valerie Bertinelli. So I yeah. think it, I think it helped a lot. Actually. Yeah. No, and you know, it does in this industry too. That's one thing. If you, if you make a great name for yourself and you get to meet so many great people, sometimes those favors definitely fast track you in at least to get a harder look. And the rest of course is talent. Um, yeah, but it's always like, not what you know, it's who you know too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking about Mackenzie Phillips, you know, she has overcome so many challenges in her life. What have you learned from her? Gosh, you know, I always say Mac is one of my heroes. Um, we are very, very close. You know, I, I, I always say I held a space for her on the show when she had, had gone and then they brought her back and we've become lifelong friends. But for the longest time, you know, she relapsed like 11 times. Mm. She didn't really get sober till she was 50 years old. So I was one of those friends that always hung in there with her. Like I always knew that it was going to be something that she could, you know, tackle. And I would, you know, I'd constantly call her even when I moved to Sedona, I'd call her back in LA and I'd be like, Hey Mac, how you doing? And she talks about this all the time because Glenn hung in there. He never let go. He never let me just wander. He always kept in touch and tried to lift my spirits, even when it wasn't being welcomed. Um, But it wasn't until she really wrote her book and came out about the sexual abuse and some of the um, wounds that she had truly carried that made her get to a place where she could heal and um, not need to just numb the pain with drugs and alcohol. So it wasn't until then, because I always thought, like, what is going on with Mac? Like, what is underneath this that she relapses over and over? It's been like a lifetime of this relationship with drugs and alcohol. Mm. But when that came out and when she really dug deep, I was like, okay, this time it's happening. This time is for real. And I tell her she's my hero. You know, her and Norman Lear are two of my my greatest heroes in life. They they've just overcome so much and have done so much and made a mark and um the, the amount of of uh, hope that she has given so many other people is remarkable and you know bonnie franklin is gone and pat harrington from our show is gone and if you would have told me jacob back in those days that in 2021 i'd be able to still pick up a phone and call mackenzie phillips and norman lear and not bonnie or pat i would have never believed you <laughs> You know, yeah. Norman's going to be a hundred yeah, in know. July of next year. And so such here an, we are. Such an amazing man, amazing career. And, and so fortunate that you have that relationship with him. Yes, I'm, I'm extremely grateful. I live in total gratitude for that chapter and for those connections. They became lifelong connections, truly. It's, it's family. Yeah. Speaking of family, tell us about your amazing father and how you became a comic book. Oh my gosh, my dad, Henry Scarpelli, thank you for asking, is, um, uh, was, he's passed now, um, a, a Archie comic book cartoonist illustrator for 47 years. Mm-hmm. And um, when I got on the, sh- on the series and I started to get in all the teen magazines and, and that whole world opened up, I guess he and his uh, compadres over there at Archie, the powers that be, kind of discussed 
hey, let's put Glenn in the comic books. So I was so thrilled because, you know, dude, it's kind of like I grew up with Archie as a, you know, a, a family member. I'm an only child, but I always kind of thought Archie, Betty, Veronica, Jughead, Reggie, you know, the whole gang from Riverdale High um, were my brothers and sisters in a way. I would sit on my dad's lap as a kid and watch him draw and I would like try to imitate him. Never got that good, though. He was really good. But I would that was such a part of my my consciousness, you know, Archie Comics. And then to see myself in it <laughs> was incredible. The yeah. first time they put me on the cover and it was just so much fun. And then I had a whole series called Glenn Scarpelli in Glenn Scarpelli in Hollywood um, throughout the comic books over the years. And I, I got to tell you, that was one of the one of the joys of my life, truly. And, uh, and a shared experience with my dad, which now looking back means even more now that he's gone like that he and i had a moment where our our worlds truly did collide um creatively yeah. and it was beautiful well the two artists i guess the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree ah thanks brother uh i my dad collected all the archie comic books and i discovered them when i was very young and it was a big big box and i i read every single one of them every single one of them that he had Wow. Um, yeah. So, and when I found that out, I was like, wow, no way. That is such a cool story. And dude, uh, that's so cool. I love it. I love it. Do you still have any? My dad still has them. They're still in storage. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. Very cool, dude. Yeah. Very cool. They're now, worth something these days. Oh, yeah. These are all like the 10 cent, you know, I think some of them are even cheaper than that. That I, wow. I, I, I used to love it. It was a uh, feeling, you know, would fill that void. And now with the series Riverdale, it's out, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's just keeps on giving Archie. Yeah. It's, 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 it's branched generations. Truly. Yeah. Everyone knows Archie. If anybody's wondering what you're up to these days, you're in Sedona, Arizona, as you mentioned, what drew you to Sedona? Well, I went on a spiritual walkabout, if you will. My first husband died of HIV AIDS at 36 years old. I was 25. I had buried him. I did not get it, you know, um, which was miraculous in and of itself. Mm. And um, I got angry at God for taking him so early. You know, I gave up acting. I left acting at 19 to live an authentic life as a gay man. In 1986, you know, you couldn't be both an actor and gay. Right. That just was not heard of. There was so much discrimination against the LGBTQ community in those days. And AIDS didn't help. It made it a lot worse. So when Gary died, I kind of went on a spiritual walkabout. I lived in Belize, Central America for a year. I unplugged from society. I lived off the land. I fished for my food. Like I went back to the basics, dude. Because I was like, you know what? I don't know what the heck this thing called life is all about, but I'm going to find out. Yeah. So I learned some incredible lessons down there. And then when it was time to come back, a friend of mine from New York had moved here to Sedona. And I came to visit and I was pulling in and there's this beautiful Red Rock, very famous Red Rock called Bell Rock as you pull into Sedona. And I got chills from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think I just came home. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, I'm a New Yorker, I lived in LA, I'm a city guy. Like if you would have told me that I was going to live in a town this (laughs) small, I would have never believed you. So it just 
was a calling, you know, I, I changed my life. And at first I didn't know what I was going to do here, but the opportunity came to open a TV station here in Sedona. Sedona we've now. Been on the, Sedona now, exactly, yeah. bro. And uh, we've been on the air 19 years entertaining the tourists. You know, our main force of, reg- of revenue in Sedona is um, tourism. And um, that's who I appeal to. So you turn on Sedona now for everything there is to see and do in Sedona. All the hotels kind of turn on to our station and, and um, it's, I've really carved a beautiful niche in this place and my place in the community. And I just love it. It brings me peace. Um, it's a, it's a different kind of lifestyle. I, I still go to LA quite a bit. My, my new boyfriend, John lives in LA. So I've been splitting my time. John Ritchie is a game show producer. Yeah. So we, I go back and forth. I still love city life. But this is the place that brings me a sense of solace, you know, it makes me calm yeah. inside myself. And, um, and I can't wait to share it with you, brother. Yeah. And I do these travel segments for those that could watch this on Zoom and not just hear our voices. Um, I'm sitting on the set right now, uh, which is a green screen in my home um, of Traveler TV. And I do these segments on markets all over the country on Scripps ABC stations. So I'm today recording segments in Las Vegas and San Diego and Tucson and Phoenix and Denver. And, um, I'm doing it with all the magic of this beautiful medium and, uh, the, the, the interweb as they say. (laughs) Well, thank you for sharing that. First of all, the powerful story. Uh, of loss and then finding the light again and about mm-hmm. Sedona and uh, and how great it is that you've transitioned into producing and, you know, creating um, after all these years. It, you know, I really think about that a lot because I've gone into producing myself. When you you're around it all the time, it's almost like it's a natural progression. Do you, would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, one of the things I think that really helped me step out of myself and it was to let go of who I thought I was. Cause I think as, because I loved acting so much from so young, I had this, this box I put myself in as Glenn, the actor. And then as I grew up and I realized I needed to be more authentic to myself and the industry wasn't allowing that, which is shocking for our industry because there are so many gay people in our industry, like it's crazy. But in those days there was just so much discrimination right. that um, I was able to start discovering different parts of myself. And I have what I realized is an entrepreneurial spirit and I'm able to do things and I'm able to own businesses and I've invested and owned several different kinds of businesses along my life. But Sedona now is the one that has been my tried and true and, and continues to help me grow and brings me creativity. Um, and I know you know this because you are such a successful producer and I'm so proud of you, brother, for everything that you've done. And, and, you know, it's fulfilling in a very different way than when we're on camera, you know, but it's, um, it's, it's creation, you know? And I think that that's one of the things I learned on my spiritual quest is, you know, whatever you call that greater force. Um, I like to use the word creator because that's the part of us that we feel that lives inside us, the part that can create. And I think you can relate to this. Creation is such a rewarding feeling, you know, and being a producer is just as rewarding as being an actor to me because it's creation. It's, and when you have say in things, you know, sometimes the actor doesn't always have a lot of say. So the producer is actually even more rewarding 
because you could say, oh, I want to do it like this. And it gets done like that. Yeah. You know, so in answer to your question, um, you know, I, 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 I love the, 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 the well-rounded aspects of all the ways that I play right now, you know, and, and I do want to share with you, Mackenzie and I did a film that's on Amazon prime. It's called sacred journeys. Okay. And I got to produce that and develop it. It was a pilot that Amazon did not pick up. So it's 45 minutes, but they released it as a standalone feature. Fantastic. And it's called sacred journeys with me and Mackenzie Phillips. It all was shot. The entire thing was shot here in Sedona. And it's a, it's a beautiful little heart project that I, um, I'm very proud of. So I, I share that with your audience too. Well, I hope everybody checks it out and I'm definitely going to be checking it out. So thank Thanks, you for sharing man. that. Now everybody takes a ride in the Jacob Young time machine. Not, not, okay. phys- not physically, but you know, theoretically, <laughs> I don't have a time machine. Uh, what advice would you give 15 year old Glenn that would have helped you as an adult? Wow. You know, I guess I would tell him that um, always be true to yourself. Don't let other opinions or um, prejudices slow you down. You know, um, know that you're loved, even when it feels like you aren't. Know that you're never alone, even when it feels you're alone. And to um, love yourself more, you know, and deeper. Because I think I went through sometimes especially after Gary died that I went through some self-loathing years, you know, where I didn't see my own worth. I started to believe what others were telling me about being gay and being who I was. And, you know, it was through a lot of self-exploration, excuse me, and self-respect that I started to find new and deeper layers of myself. And that's just the process. But if I had to tell my 15 year old self that I would give them that advice up front. Yeah. I would say you are loved and you're perfect as you are. Yeah. Well, you are. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you, brother. So are you dude, I'm so happy that we have our friendship, our brotherhood, our connection. It really means a lot. I know we don't see a lot of each other face to face, but we'll, we'll change that. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Now my sponsor boys town, of course the boys town from the Spencer Tracy Oscar winning film, uh, still thriving in Omaha, Nebraska. And I was, nice. and I was just there on their campus about a month ago. I got to visit finally for the first time. Uh, learned so much, but around the campus are just Tons and tons of bronze statues from over the years. And one of the statues is of a boy carrying another boy. And it's a true story. Mm. The boy had a disability where he couldn't walk very well. And so the boys would take turns carrying him to different classes and events and games and things like that. And one day, Father Flanagan looked at him and he said, isn't he heavy? And he goes, he's not heavy, Father. He's my brother. Mm. Meaning in our lives, we're all carried by somebody right? at some point. Who carried you, Glenn? Oh, wow. Um, well, I've had so many angels in my life, truly. I had some wonderful friends that really stepped up um, at times that I, I needed true help. Um, 
my my buddy Paul, my my sister Mary, you know, I'm an only child, but I call them brothers and sisters. After Gary died, they were two of my angels. My friend Tiffany um, Mackenzie has helped me in many, many ways. I had a friend Peter who helped me along the way. Um, certainly my my partners in life. I've I've had several. Um, Jude, Jerry, and now John, who is like really the truest match for me. I'm so grateful to have him in many ways, right? This moment he carries me, you know? Um, and we talk about this whole, you know, um, the footprints. We often talk about footprints. Is that such a beautiful, the footprints in the sand? And he's like, why was I walking alone? Uh, no, that's when I carried you. Right. You know? So, um, I think that's happened to me many times over my life. And, um, and I'm just grateful, but you know, I do have a, a, a real true relationship. When I look back on my life, like what is the one thing that's defined me is this path that I'm on. Like we talked about that has no real destination. It's just this journey that I will carry from this life into whatever is next, um, which is a relationship with something greater than myself. And that is my truth. Like I don't, I, you know, God, whatever you want to call it, but I, I like to just call it, you know, perfect love, you know, deep love, the universe but it's really a part of myself and that's where it all comes back to a relationship with my highest self. So I believe that's what carried me. You know, there was a part in my, a time in my life, Jacob, where I, I was very lost and I just felt loved. I don't even understand what it meant. Like it's what held me on because it was a time when I wanted to go with Gary and I thought about it. I'm like, wouldn't it be easier if I just was laying next to him, you know, cause and, and maybe there was some survivor's guilt because I did not get HIV. So, um, you know, I just felt like I was carried at that point by whatever this is that said, no, it's not your time. And it's also a place where I have plans for you, you know, again, in the creation of our lives. So for me, that was, if I really had to narrow it down, I always felt carried by what I call that, which is. It shows. Ah, thank you, bro. Glenn, I want to say thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I can't wait to see you in person and catch up. Where can fans follow you on social media and keep up with you day to day? Yes, well, I'm on Facebook as Glenn Scarpelli. I'm also on Instagram at Glenn Scarpelli. And uh, and those are my my top two. Sedona Now, you can also go to SedonaNow.com from the website. Find out all there is to see and do in Sedona with my TV station. And um, and uh, also on Facebook, Sedona Now TV. So I just so appreciate that. And also want to just say one more time, Sacred Journeys on Amazon Prime. I'm proud of that. That's always a good one to check out. And uh, I can't thank you enough, Jacob. This means the world to me that you even asked me to do this. Oh, I was so thrilled. It means the world to me. You are Sedona now and always. So thanks again for being on the podcast. Thank you, bro. Lane Frostbrand is a proud sponsor of Real Conversations with Jacob Young, the comfortable, stylish, and unique clothing line that commemorates the life of world champion bull rider Lane Frost. Everything from hats to belt buckles. Be sure to check out the whole line of products for the entire family at lanefrost.com the official shop of the legend for the champion in you. I'd now like to bring on the manager of the Boys Town National Hotline, of course, my dear, dear friend and resident professional, Chris Hallstrom. How are you today, Chris? I am doing awesome, Jacob. How are you doing? I'm doing great. 
I had a great interview with Glenn Scarpelli, dear friend of mine, who's had so many accolades, so many achievements uh, in his career. And there's just so many things that stood out in this interview. Was there anything that stuck out for you that was pivotal to some of the teachings that go on at your life, your voice or at Boys Town? Well, can I say that I love that a 10 year old was getting advice from Golda Meir <laughs> and that he remembered that um, advice. Um, she told him to be the person you want to spend your life with. And like, what awesome advice to give to somebody. Um, it's, you know, be kind to people, be good to people, be the person that you want to be around um, and, and be like. So I just love that. And I love that it made enough of an impact when he was 10 uh, that he still remembers it today. So not many people get that kind of advice from um, someone that famous and important in the world. So, um, but, and then, you know, he also talked about how important it is to, um, you know, that happiness comes from within. You can't rely on other people to make you happy. Um, it, It really starts within yourself. So, yeah, I was just very impressed that, like the advice he got as a young child and he still remembered it today. I'm still trying to remember that advice. I know. (laughs) What was I doing at 10? I don't know. I don't think I was getting (laughs) advice from anybody like that. So one of the things, you know, that also stood stood out to me, of course, um, we, you know, he was talking a lot about, um, of course, when we deal with this and I know you deal with this a lot on your life, your voice with helping all sorts of young people and adults alike, um, you know, he lost a partner at a, a, at a pretty young age to HIV and felt that he needed to um, maybe take his own life in order to be with that person. Um, any thoughts on, on that, on, from, from your, your, your perspective? Well, I appreciate that he shared that story because um, there's not a lot of people that admit those feelings. Um, Because he he said um, that he felt such guilt um, when he died and um, that I don't remember the words that he used, but basically like he kind of just wanted to give up, Um, but that he realized that it wasn't his time and that there's other plans and other things that he had in his life that he shouldn't give up at that moment. So, you know, there's so many people that contact us at the hotline who have those feelings and they're feeling like they're in a dark hole and there's no way out. And I, I, the big thing is I just want to remind people, like you may be in that hole for a while because of what's going on in your life, but there there's ways to get out of it. Um, Whether it's the people around you that help support you, if it's some goals that you have or um, self care that you need to do, but don't give up. Um, sometimes people like, it's just that instant. I can't handle this anymore. This is my option. I'm going to kill myself. There's a lot of other options out there. Talk to people, get some help, um, work your way through it because you never, ever know what's around the corner for you. Mm -hmm. There may be an amazing thing, um, you know, that's going to happen next week and you'll miss out on it if, if you take your own life. So I can't speak to everybody on this, but I can say that there's been moments where I've felt very depressed. And thought about things like that. But then tomorrow is a brand new day. Exactly. And sometimes you have to live in that darkness. Like it, you can't just snap your fingers and make it go away. And some people live in that darkness for a week or two or whatever. But um, yeah, sometimes it can be short lived. Sometimes, you know what? I'm just having a bad day and I'm going to lay on the couch. And that's okay. 
do what you need to do to take care of yourself today because like you said, tomorrow's another day and um, things may look completely different the next day. One of the things that really I admire about his family life, his father was an incredible artist as well, just like he is. So sometimes I guess the, um, the, you know, the, the branch is not too, was it the expression the doesn't fall too far from the tree. Right. <laughs> and it seems that he had a very supportive father in that way, who was of course, one of the original artists for the Archie Jughead series, which has now become that a successful. Cool. Yeah. Very, very, yeah. very cool. And of course I have a, I have this great photo of the cover that he's on that his father got him on uh, about Glenn Scarpelli and Archie and Veronica and Jughead. Totally cool. So cool. So, but what can we say a little bit about parents and support and for the parents that are listening out there, you know, sometimes the artist's life is not the life that their parents want for their kids. They might not see that as a reality or a realistic goal, but what can we speak to on about the support of just being supportive to our children so they don't have to worry that maybe the, my dreams and ambitions have to be dashed? Right. Well, it, you know, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to be a parent, um, a, a kid at any age and an older kid, too, as well. Um, support is one of the biggest things when people are depressed, feeling down. If they know that people are in their corner and that they are loved unconditionally, it's huge. Um, and, you know, as parents, you may be disappointed in your kids. Um, you may be angry at them sometimes for things that they've done. But if they know that in the end you're there for them, it, it really is important. And I think um, if parents that are dealing with kids with mental health issues, um, it can be very frustrating because you want a quick fix. You want to change it. But sometimes it's just a matter of listening and letting them share what they're going through um because we can't fix everything you know as much as we'd like to wrap our kids in bubble wrap and never have anything bad happen that's just not realistic so everybody's going to go through troubles in their life and as a if a parent can help kids learn how to work through troubles at, at a young age they're much more apt to be successful in dealing with struggles as adults great advice and what about going to the other side of the coin about inspiration, because he talked about a story that he experienced with Audrey Hepburn. He was working with, of course, the great director, Oscar award-winning director, Peter Bogdanovich. And Audrey was playing his mom in the movie. They all laughed. And she asked him about classical music. Now as a young, young man, and uh, even if I was at that age, classical music, it was definitely not on my radar, but talking about inspiring, he mentioned that, they went to a record store. She was talking maybe about Bach and Mozart and, you know, you, you name the different uh, classical artists. And she secretly decided to buy him an entire album collection of all of her favorite classical artists, whether they performed by other orchestras or whatnot, but, but went ahead and provided him with this. How important is it to inspire young people in that way? Oh, I think it's such a great way to give back. Um, and what you give, if you're inspiring or mentoring um, kids or taking them under their wing or paying special attention to it, 
comes back around. Um, you know, and there's so many ways you can do that in today's world, whether it's just taking an interest in what they're doing. Um, maybe, maybe you're not going to get them to flip over the kind of music um, that they listen to, but there's other ways that you can um, just inspire them. Just sometimes it's just talking and listening. Um, you don't have to go buy somebody a whole record collection, but it's just doing things together and spending time together. Yeah. And broadening their horizons way, maybe it's just philosophically speaking or, or right. giving them some sort of knowledge that you could pass on without it being necessarily a physical gift. Right. Yeah. And it's not just a matter of preaching at kids either. Sometimes it's just having those discussions. And like you said, broadening their horizons, um, books, music, traveling, any of those kind of things, food. Um, you don't always have to stick with the same kind of thing all the time. It's, it's trying new things and, um, helping kids feel comfortable with trying new things is good too. Well, it seems like Glenn was able to somehow find his path with people giving him good insights for him to be able to try different things in his life. And he continues to do that and continues to inspire because I've been to Sedona, Arizona. I've seen his channel Sedona now. And he's still doing that. He is inspiring people to get out, go check this out. This is what's happening in Sedona. And Sedona, Arizona, if you haven't been there, oh, it's beautiful, beautiful place. It's <laughs> we absolutely went there this, this spring. Um, you know, it, Nebraska winters, it was so cold out. And I told my husband, we've got to go somewhere where I can get out and walk. And that's where we chose to, to go was um, to Arizona. So absolutely beautiful area. And, you know, the thing he made a comment on is that um, he said that he's still finding other layers of himself because there's always more to discover. So I love that. It's mm -hmm. like he said he was like peeling back an onion. There's always more layers. Um, so that was cool, too. I appreciated hearing that. There certainly is. And just to add to the Sedona, if you've ever watched the Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner episodes, that is Sedona, Arizona. Those, yeah. <laughs> those crazy rock formations with balancing rocks on top. That was based after that area. So yeah, um, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful spot. Area. And and there's a yeah. lot of spiritualism that is that happens there that I don't think would hurt anybody to come in and, and, and take a listen. Maybe it's not your cup of tea or whatever. If it's somebody else, you know, if you're not into spirituality, but there's something about that area that you go, wow. This is bigger than me. Something well, and it, wasn't it cool that he was there and it was like, okay, this is where I need to be. I think he referred to it as this is home. Yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah that was he cool. said, I'm, I'm, I'm from New York city and from long Island. Yeah, I've lived in California and I found this place and I, I was home. Yeah. It is such a beautiful area. It really is. Yeah. Well, I want to say thank you again, Chris, for joining me today as always. Well, I appreciate you having me on. It's always fun to listen to your interviews. Real Conversations with Jacob Young, the mental health podcast is sponsored by Boys Town. At Boys Town, their slogan is, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. And for over 100 years, Boys Town has been saving children, healing families. Now, they're only one call away, and they're always there to help. Please go to boystown.org for all the details on how to access Boys Town's health services or simply go to yourlifeyourvoice.org. If you're in crisis or you need immediate help, please 
all the trained counselors at the Boys Town National Hotline at 800-448-3000. Or text VOICE to 20121. Again, 20121. Thanks for joining me on Real Conversations. I'm Jacob Young. Until next time, love yourself and love each other.